I'm incredibly excited to be here with you this morning. My name, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet before or yet, my name is Andrew Basic, and Paul has given me this incredible opportunity to practice this gift that God has given me to teach and to stand up in front of you guys and practice this gift. I'm, I'm incredibly blessed to be here this morning. So Paul came to me and he said, hey man, I want you to speak. This is the date. Uh, just whatever God's putting on your heart, let me know and we can go at it. So I, I wasn't really sure at the time what I should speak about, but um, that was right towards the beginning of when COVID started happening. So it was this big, huge mess, and it was, um, I was full of questions like, well, I mean, it's going to hit the U.S. at some point. I'm in a medical profession, so it's going to impact my job somehow. Um, am I going to be out of work? Like, what's going to happen? So immediately, I just started to pray, and I was like, man, God, um, I, I know you, you promised peace, if I lift my anxieties up to you and give you thanks for all the blessings we have or that you give us. So that's, that's exactly what I started to do. But as I was praying and thinking about this stuff, I felt like God put a question on my heart, like, man, what's your game plan? Like, what is your game plan, and how are you going to uh, actively pursue me in the middle of this? Then I couldn't think about anything, and I got to thinking about football players and baseball players and how they these teams spend weeks at a time just rehearsing what they're going to do against the specific team that they're coming up against next. And they practice and practice and practice for a week or two just for the game day. And once the game day comes, it's basically whoever got the game plan down the best, that team's going to end up winning the game. So I felt like God put it on my heart, like figure out what your game plan is for this season because it's going to be a crazy season. And in, that, in the middle of that, I, I started reading in Second Chronicles. And we, in, in that, we meet this guy. His name is Jehoshaphat. And that's, that's who we're going to be hanging out with today. We're going to be looking at the story of Jehoshaphat and just hanging out with him and seeing how he came up against this crazy situation. And in the middle of it, he had the proper game plan. And that's what I want to figure out today. Like, what th- does our game plan need to be in a crazy season like this? So just to give you a little backstory on Jehoshaphat, he's this king of Judah that we meet in 2 Chronicles, and the first, one of the first things it says in scripture about him is that he walked in the ways of Asa, his father, and he sought after God, and he walked in his commandments. So it was incredible for me to see this story of a king who was doing the best he could, but he made mistakes along the way, but God was still able to, to use his story uh, in the Bible, and he was still able to use his rule in order to better the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Um, so some of the mistakes that Jehoshaphat made in, in his rule, this guy was, he was seeking after God in the beginning of his rule, but then he ends up being allies with this guy, with his other king, and that's where he starts running into trouble, because once he becomes allies with this other king, uh, he gets into a sticky situation, but then he gets out of the sticky situation when he cries out to God, and God saves him from the situation, and then he, he goes nuts and he starts, uh, he has a prophet come to him and he says, like, man, you made these mistakes, but it's, it's okay because there's still good in you. God can still use you. So Jehoshaphat goes from there and he starts uh, changing Judah around. He starts changing the way that they do things in Judah to better glorify God. And once he, bet, once he does all these things to better glorify God, that's when we pick up in this story that's coming up. So we're going to be hanging out in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, and that's going to come up on the screen here. So it, the, the verse starts off by saying, After this, 
And when they say after this, they mean after Jehoshaphat did a lot to change the kingdom around to better glorify God. So after this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and with, with some of them, the, the Munites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazar, Hazar Tamar, that is, in, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast through all of Judah. So this is a very different reaction from, from Jehoshaphat compared to what we see in the previous two chapters. So we're going to go back a little bit. And remember how I told you about that king that he was allies with? So that, that king that he was allies with, his name was Ahab. And Ahab, he was not following what God was calling him to do. Ahab was this guy who he, he seemed like he was following God. He had a bunch of prophets that he referred to whenever he wanted to make a kingly decision, but these prophets were selected because he knew that he was going to get the answer that he wanted from them rather than the answer that was actually from God. So they end up going to war at Ramoth Gilead with Ahab. And so Jehoshaphat allies with this guy going into war. God didn't want him to do it. And Ahab says, hey, like, I'm going to dress in normal, like, normal soldier armor. You, you, you wear your kingly robes, and uh, we're just going to go in like that. So as soon as they go out to battle, the commanders of the other armies, they see the kingly robes, and they think it's Ahab, the king of Israel. So they actually pursue him, but it's actually Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat sees this, and he cries out to God, and he says, save me from this. And that's what God does. He, he saves him from it, directs the, the soldiers the other way. And then my favorite part of this is actually, uh, it says that a random soldier picked up his bow, shot it, and then it hit Ahab in a weak part of his armor. Just some random guy picked up a bow and shot it. And then Ahab ends up dying from this. And instead of being killed because Jehoshaphat made a poor decision, God ends up saving him because he cried out to God in his time of distress. So Jehoshaphat tried to improve his situation by allying with a king that wasn't seeking after God. He tried to better his situation, but really he just ended up worsening his situation. So we, we have this dishwasher at home, and uh, it was about two years old at the time, and our house was two years old, and it just kind of stopped working. I hit the button, and it, it ran for a little bit, but then it stopped. So I was like, I mean, that's kind of weird. Why, why did it stop? So like any, any adult would do, I just went over, and I messed with the buttons, and then I hit the button again, and it started. I was like, okay, cool. I'm a, I'm a technician. I'm a genius. So it stopped working again. 30 minutes later, I came back, and it wasn't running. So I called my father-in-law. My father-in-law is Mr. Fix-It. He can fix just about anything that's broken because he just understands everything. So I said, hey, yo, dog, uh, my dishwasher's not working. Like, I don't know what's wrong with it. This happened, this happened. So he said, okay, um, did you check the power supply? And I said, no, I mean, it's a new house. I didn't check it. And he said, well, before you go start making any crazy fixes or taking stuff apart, check the power supply. And I said, okay, cool. And I hung up, but I had a prideful moment. And I said, it's not the power supply. Like, that's not what's wrong. It's a new house. It's a new dishwasher. It's not going to be the power supply that's broken. So I pulled out the manual that's underneath of the dishwasher, and I started flipping through it. And I was like, okay, uh, troubleshoot this. And inside it said, for trained technicians only. And I just, get rid of that. This is dumb. Like, I can figure this out on my own. So I started troubleshooting what I thought was the problem. And in the middle of that, um, I, I, 
I found what I thought was the issue, and I looked up the part, and I called someone and said, hey, can I get this part and try it, and if it doesn't work, can I send it back? And they said, no, once you open the package, it's a used part, and we won't, we won't accept it back. So I called my father-in-law and said, hey, oh, dog, um, here's the situation. I think it's this. I'm not sure, though, and the part is like 80 bucks, so it's expensive enough that I don't want to buy it and be wrong. So what, what should I do? And he said, I mean, yeah, that's too much just for a random part to be wrong. Um, well, was the power supply good? And I, come on, like, no, I mean, the, I didn't check it. And he said, well, please check the power supply before you do anything else, because it's much easier and much cheaper to fix the outlet than it is to buy this expensive part. So I went, and what was wrong with it? The power supply was broken. <laughs> So I, was, I th had a very humbling moment, and in that, I, me, a person who I try to fix things, but I'm not great at fixing things, I went to my father-in-law, who's incredible at fixing things, and he, he is much more qualified to do those things than I am. So it, rather than accepting what he had to say, and rather than trying to listen to what his advice was, I try to fix my situation on my own. I try to fix it when I should have listened to him. And in the same way, Jehoshaphat tried to fix his situation rather than fixing his eyes on God. And that's where my first point comes from, and that's going to come up on the screen here. If you want to fix your situation, you need to fix your eyes on God. In Psalm 142, verses 3, it says, When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way that I should turn. So God already knows the direction that we need to turn before our situation goes bad. He knows that way ahead of time. So we need to ask ourselves a question. In the face of fear or, or in the face of struggle, what do we fix our eyes on? Do we fix our eyes on social media where we can get in arguments and complain about stuff that's going on or, or put our opinions out there and probably get into a few debates? Do we turn our eyes towards our bank account that is getting smaller and smaller, which was our case for this whole COVID situation and it was a big stress? The bank account just kept getting smaller and smaller, and I didn't know where money was going to come from. Or do we just complain about our problems to our friends who just kind of feed into our issues? Or do we try to fix our problems on our own, which as funny as it is, that's what I try to do with my dishwasher when I should have just listened to what my father-in-law was saying. So we need to fix our eyes on God before we do anything else. And what that means is fixing our eyes on God means before doing, doing anything else, turn our eyes towards him and ask for help and wisdom and what steps to take because he already knows the steps that we have to take before, he, before our situation goes bad. And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat did. He turned his eyes to seek the Lord. So continuing on in the passage, Second Chronicles 20, verses 5 through 12, says that Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and the house of the Lord before the new court, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of all the nations, and your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the in inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it, and they have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, if sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house, 
and, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sire, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of, out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So this, this scripture, when I looked up more details about it, it was t- uh, one guy referred to it as the most elegant uh, prayer that they had ever seen written in the Bible. It was just humbling. Jehoshaphat was incredibly humble before God when speaking this prayer. So I want to head back up to the top uh, where it says, And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. So there's a significance that Jehoshaphat turned and he prayed in the house of the Lord. This is a significant point because earlier in Second Chronicles, Solomon uh, made this big, huge prayer and then God came to him afterwards and spoke to him and he promised him uh, in, in Second Chronicles 7, verses 15 through 16. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. So in Jehoshaphat's time of distress, he remembers this promise that God made to Solomon who was king before he was. And he remembered that God, God promised that his eyes and his ears will always be attentive to the prayers that are made in this place. Which leads me to my second point. We need to find peace in God's promises, which is exactly what Jehoshaphat did. So promise, I was thinking about it. That's like, I feel like for me, promise doesn't hold as much weight as it should. I feel like from the time I was young to the time I'm older, I, I was constantly making promises that, I mean, it, it, who cared if it was actually, if I actually followed through with it. It didn't matter because it was so small. Um, but one promise that I know I frequently make all the time is, Honey, uh, babe, I'll do the dishes um, I'll do it before I go to sleep tonight. It's, it's fine. I'll get to it. I'm just going to look at this uh, one more fantasy football article. And next thing I know, I fell asleep on the couch. <laughs> Morning comes around, and that promise that I made was broken. <laughs> Another one that I make all the time, and it hurts because I know it's true. My, I always promise, man, I won't be late. And I know my best friend Tanner, he's laughing right now with his parents because I would say this to them all the time. They would actually tell me to arrive places way early so that I wouldn't make them late. And I would still find ways to make them late because I was always running late. So I won't be late. I promise. And I (laughs) break that promise. I know for some of you kids out there, Mom, I'll do, I'll clean my room after I finish this round of Fortnite. Or I'll do the dishes after I finish this round of zombies on Black Ops. I'll get it done. And what happens? More, more bickering, bickering. Get the chores done. 
and the chores never get done. We start at an early age learning how to break promises. <laughs> but then there's some more serious ones. I promise it's my last drink. I promise I'm not going to pick up the substance again. But oftentimes we fail in that promise and we pick that up again. And that promise is broken. And we see divorce rates that are so high. And it's just so heartbreaking. And the promise that was made at the beginning of a marriage and those vows that were made, that promise is broken. It's too engulfed in our DNA to break promises. So the word promise, when I hear promises of God, that doesn't hold enough weight. But the thing that's different about God's promises is no matter what happens, once I'm a child of God, once I'm saved, and once I believe in Jesus Christ, God will never break his promise towards me. No matter how many times I try, no matter how I can't, I can't break, like God, God's promises are not going to fail. And that's the huge difference between when we make promises versus when God makes promises. Jehoshaphat was able to find peace and the promises that God made way ahead of his time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20, it says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. God doesn't break his promises. God, God will fulfill his promises, but the funny thing is he's going to do it in his timing. And that's often uncomfortable for us because we have to wait. And God often calls us to do things before he fulfills the promises. So what promises do we need to remember? In Hebrews, God promises to the Christ follower that he, he will never leave or forsake us. He promises that he's going to provide all of our needs according to the riches of his glory. He promises to give us wisdom when we ask for wisdom. He promises to give us peace when we lift up prayers about our anxious thoughts and bring thanksgiving to him. And I think the biggest promise that, that we need to remember, especially in a time like this, is God promises the Holy Spirit is going to live inside of us once we accept him. So Jesus tells his disciples that they're actually at an advantage if he leaves and he sends the Holy Spirit to him. And this is the same Jesus that he walks on water. He was sleeping in a boat and his disciples woke him up because they were afraid they were going to die. And he just says, peace, be still to the wind and the waves and it stops. This is the same Jesus that casts out demons. He performs miracles by healing the sick. He performs miracles uh, by raising from the dead. God did all this, Jesus did all this stuff but he tells his disciples that it's more of an advantage if he leaves and the Holy Spirit comes. For me, I, I look at that and I think, man, like I am greatly underutilizing the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. John 16, 13, it says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. 
And another thing the Holy Spirit does for us is in John 14, 26. And that says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. As we see in John 14, 26, it's promised that the Holy Spirit's going to bring to our remembrance everything that he's once taught us. So that puts a responsibility on us. That puts a responsibility on us to get in the scripture, to read his promises and understand his promises, and that puts a responsibility on us to spend time in learning these things that God is speaking to us. Paul has this phrase that I love, and I also hate it. Whenever I'm prepping for a message, Paul, his favorite line when, when he's the only one in the auditorium and I'm speaking to him, I, I start stumbling and I start sweating. And Paul says, man, it's okay. We sweat in preparation so we don't bleed in battle. So I rehearse my messages over and over again just so I, can, I know how to navigate every little piece of the message so that once, the time, uh, once it's time to preach the message, I know exactly how to navigate it and where to go. The same is true for, for knowing and understanding Scripture and understanding the promises that God gives to us. We need to be so familiar and have a, an understanding of what God says in Scripture so that the time the battle comes, we're ready and we know what promises we can rest on. Which is exactly what we see Jehoshaphat do in that Scripture. So, continuing on in the passage, we see that God speaks through a prophet and this is 2 Chronicles 20, 15 through 17. And the prophet says, Listen, all of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. After hearing the prophet speak and hearing what God had to say, Jehoshaphat, the first thing that he does, he bows his head down and I imagine that he just has this smirk and he's just happy. And, the, and all of Judah and Jehoshaphat and Jerusalem, they explode and they start to worship God because of a promise that he made to them. So what really stuck out to me was the fact that they started to worship because of a promise. The army is still out there. The army that is threatening their kingdom is still there, and they're marching closer and closer to them. But they had so much faith that God was going to follow through in his promise that they were able to worship because of the promise, not in spite of the results, not because of the results of the promise. They were able to worship beforehand. Mark Batterson has this quote from a book that I love. And it says, If God has put a promise in your heart, praise him for it. You need to celebrate as, it, as if it has already happened, which is exactly what we see Jehoshaphat and the kingdom of Judah do. So the second part of that point is we need to take our position. So we're going to go back to Second Chronicles and just focus on verse 17 here. And this verse says that you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, 
and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. He still calls them to take their position even though God already made the promise that he's going to fight this battle for them. This happens a lot in our own spiritual walks, in our own walks with Christ, that God gives us, a, gives us a promise, but we don't see that promise fulfilled until we take the appropriate steps of faith that he's calling us to take. So the next morning, Jehoshaphat and Judah do as God instructed, and they start marching off where God told them to go. And Jehoshaphat goes to his, his people And he gives them this awesome pep talk and says, Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. And immediately after that, he appoints people, uh, worshipers, to go to the front battle line. So behind or in front of the soldiers and where they're completely defenseless up there, but he appoints them there because their worship is going to be heard loudest at the front of the march. So they start going nuts. They start worshiping and praising God. And the scripture says that as soon as they started worshiping and praising God, the Lord sent an ambush to the three kingdoms that were out there. And God turns them all against each other. And long story short, nobody makes it. So God, as soon as they started to worship and as soon as they started to take steps of obedience, the Lord went way ahead of them and he took care of the battle for them. God fights the battle for them, but he still required them to take a step of faith before following through in the promise that he gave them. So what does that look like for us in this season? We don't have a massive army marching up against us, but we do have, in this crazy season, we're dealing with COVID-19, something we've never dealt with before. We're dealing with Uh, police hatred, we're dealing with racism, police reform, we're dealing with all of these things. So what do we do? Like, how do we approach this season? So our experience through COVID-19, it started off with me being just excited to see God provide for us, because I knew that he was going to provide everything that we needed. I knew he was going to take care of us through this difficult season. And that's exactly what he did. I lost my job for a few weeks, so I was able to use vacation time and a little bit extra that they let me borrow. Um, But then after that, money stopped. But I still held firm in the promise that God was going to take care of us and he was going to provide for us everything that we needed. So that was really cool for a little while. And we saw blessing after blessing. Different churches from around the area started giving us free meals. We were getting free food from all over the place, and God just did incredible things through that. And now I'm back at work. I have been for a few weeks. Not full-time yet, but that's okay, because God's still going to provide for us. But as I'm seeing these numbers start to spike again, the COVID numbers, as I'm seeing them go up and up and up, I can't help but wonder, like, man, is it going to happen again? I don't have vacation time this time, but, I mean, what's going to happen? I'm not sure. I still know that God's going to provide for us. I'm not sure what that looks like yet. So I actually started, out of fear and anxiety, started looking up different ways to make money 
So I started looking up what it takes to be a real estate agent, what it takes to be a fitness trainer online, like what it takes to actually get paid by social media and Instagram. Like I was looking at all these things thinking like, okay, I'm, I have to fix my situation before it gets bad. And in the middle of that, I was, I was telling the story to some family and friends and God reminded me like, hey, like, did you forget the message that I have you preparing right now? Like you're trying to fix this situation before it's even a problem. Like why are you not p- fixing your eyes on me and allowing me to provide for you and allow me to fix this situation for you? And it was just this big humbling moment. And God put it on my heart, especially Second Chronicles verse 12. And in that verse it says, for we are powerless against this giant horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So in that, I really felt like God was telling me, personalize that. Like, make it an I statement. So I took that, and I said, for I am powerless against this fill in the blank. For us, it was COVID-19. I can wash my hands all I want. I can sanitize as much as I want, but I can't change what the rest of the world is doing. I can't change how, what, how people feel towards police. I can't change racism. I can do my part, but I can't do other people's parts for them. For I'm powerless against this blank that is coming against us. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I was really focused on what position God was asking me to take. And the more and more I prayed this prayer, I felt like God was telling me to pray for our city, pray for our state, pray for our country, pray for our nation, pray for the world, and just pray that they will humble themselves and turn their hearts back towards God. And once that happens, he's going to restore us and heal the land. So in this, what's our game plan? Our game plan that we saw from Jehoshaphat is to fix our eyes on God rather than trying to fix the situation ourselves. We need to find peace in his promises because we know that God keeps his promises. God does not back down from his promises. He will fulfill them in his time. We need to worship because of the promises that he made, because once again, he is faithful to fulfill his promises. He's not going to let us down on that front or any front. And number four, we need to take our position. God put a challenge on my heart for, for you guys. I know you're super excited about that. I'm super excited for it. Take a break from social media for a week. Take a break from the news this week. Take a break from whatever it is that causes us to take our focus off of God and onto the situation and the circumstances that are making this crazy world crazy right now. I felt like he was telling me to stop focusing on those things at least for a week. And every time we feel the urge to get on social media, to get on the news and see what's going on, see the updates, I felt like he was telling me to challenge you guys with this. Just pray this prayer to him, cry it out to him. For I am powerless against this blank, 
against this, fill in the blank for you, that is coming against us. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. We need to humble ourselves in these situations and fix our eyes on God rather than trying to fix our situation. We need to pray for peace in our circumstances because peace from God, it comes in, like, in within the crazy. It, it doesn't eliminate the crazy from our lives. Peace from God comes within the craziness happening within our lives. We need to take advantage of the Holy Spirit. God promises us the Holy Spirit and that he's going to help us in everything we need. He's going to bring us, bring to memory everything that he's taught us and he's going to teach us everything that we need to know. We need to pray for help from the Holy Spirit. And we need to wholeheartedly seek God. And when we do that, God's going to meet us where we are. Imagine how this would change Gulfside Church if we lifted up this prayer to him whenever, whenever we felt the urge to get on social media. Imagine how it would change our cities across the nation because we're all watching online right now. We're in different cities across the nation. Imagine how it would change our nation. Imagine how it would change the world if we were able to offer up this prayer to God whenever we feel the urge to look at something, say, instead, for, for I am powerless against this fill in the blank that is coming against us. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. If we lifted up this prayer to him every time we did that, we could face any storm that comes our way because of what God does for us, because of the promises that he gives to us, and because he will fight our battles for us, as we see in this story and we see in other countless stories throughout scripture. But I want to start by praying to him now. Dear God, thank you for just peace. Peace despite this whole crazy situation that's going on. God, you promise us peace if we give our anxious thoughts to you in thanksgiving. God, our, our world is in a state of just craziness right now with, with COVID-19 and we see the levels rising. God, I look at this situation and I pray that other people look at this situation as well and lift up this prayer that, God, we don't know what to do against this COVID-19, against racism, against police hatred. We don't know what to do against these things, but our eyes are fixed on you. God, I pray that we can all lift up this prayer to you wherever we are, whatever our circumstances look like. And God, I know that you're going to be faithful to save us where we are, to, to meet us in whatever circumstances we're in. And God, you're going to continue to deliver on the promises that you make. God, you're good, and I love you, and I thank you for never failing on your promises. Amen.